Hello, welcome to A Book Shambles Extra, though in fact this one really is a shambles extra. This is a conversation that I had with Chris McGlade, who is a comedian whose work I was reading about, various reviews for the last few years in the Edinburgh Fringe, and I was just interested in what he was doing, and he was coming to the Soho Theatre, so I wanted to talk about the show, which is called Forgiveness. Uh, it is based around the murder of his father in 2011, and his idea about forgiveness, but also with a lot of jokes as well. So, here is a shambles extra. <laughs> And uh, today I'm joined by a comedian and uh, and a poet, and really, I suppose, in fact, in some of the work you're doing now, it does, get, you know, we would say activist to to an extent in terms of well, what, what your your work is, perhaps talking about Chris McGlade. I, uh, I, I, you say activist. I've been I've been uh, an activist in in that sense of the word since 2000 and. Four. I started a political campaign up in Redcar in the northeast against our council, letting the country's biggest developer, Persimmon Homes, build houses on our on our coastline. Um, and we beat them in the House of Lords, uncovered all kinds of potential corruption, scattered the protagonists to the four winds, and uh, changed the law in this country. And when I got back into my comedy after, because I was off my comedy, you've been a comedian for thirty-two years. Started the campaign in 2004, finished in 2010. When I finished in 2010, after seeing all that potential corruption and all that hypocrisy and all that injustice, my comedy changed massively. I changed as a man massively. And, uh, I mean, I've always been political ever since I joined the Labour Party at 18, 17, 18 years old in the, in the uh, early 80s. So I've always been political, but... In terms of actually getting off your backside and and picking up the range yourself and actually doing something, that started in earnest me in two thousand and four, and then it just carried on from there in um, in my comedy and everything, you know, just trying to make make points, wake people up, see things, make people see things from a different perspective, you know. With that. Yeah, the the first clip of yours that I've seen is probably when you were you in quite a dandy suit. Shaved head, dandy yeah, suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're gags, but they're stories as well. They're story, story mm. gags and stuff that I've, I've seen. So so that would have been, I think, 2001 or 2002 for yeah, that, a, a stand-up show. Yeah, I, I, um, that was that was in a, in, a, in a comedy competition, like a fairly low-key comedy competition, uh, that the, uh, one of the agents in the North who I, who I was working with uh, put me in for. I didn't even progress, but I wasn't really bothered about that. Um I'd just finished doing the Comedy Store in Hollywood and walking out on the main stage at the Comedy Store in Hollywood. And there's, there's the same stage as, like, uh, Richard Pryor and Robin Williams and all these guys. And, like, he's this, like, working-class lad from Redka. See, how did that, that happen then? So, you you know, you started comedy. You, you were, were, were pretty young when you started comedy. You find yourself doing the, you know, L.A. You And you were out there for a while, weren't you, in, in, in the States? Well... I was I was out for a period of months and I went back over and what it was was a a friend of mine is a is a very famous blues guitarist called Walter Trout, a good friend of mine. And uh, sorry, it's just that I the reason I look over there is uh, Trent, our producer, is uh, likes Walter Trout as well. So uh, well, I've stayed at his house, Trent. You know, he's yeah. a good he's a good pal of mine. <laughs> and um, it, it, I went over to. Uh, he lives in a place called Huntington Beach, and I went over to stay with him for a week or so in America. And um, this particular night, this Sunday night, his bass guitarist, no longer with us, sadly, Jim, Jimmy Trapp, he took me over to the comedy store in Hollywood. And 
an American comedian called Bobby Lee, who's uh, a good friend of mine, he, he got me up and uh, he loved me. So I came off and he said, we'd like you to showcase for Mitzi Shaw. So I said, right, oh, she. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been on the working men's club circuit. I didn't know who she was. So he said, oh, she owns the comedy. So she sat everybody that you can think of in American comedy. Would you come back over? So I said, yeah. So I, I got myself some funds together and some finances, and I went back over and uh, was working in and around L.A., at all the major clubs and everything, and then I showcased for her. And she loved me. I couldn't believe it, she loved me. And she said, you can come back any time you like. And so I went back in about 2003, 2004, and they put me on this show called Rock Comedy. I was on with Dane Cook and Harland Williams and a few other people, and I absolutely kicked ass. And, uh, you know, it opened all kinds of doors. And I came back home, and then our council were proposing this scheme on our coastline and so I ditched all of that because I just felt instinctively I had to like, stand up and fight this political campaign but yeah I mean I and then that and then that was just that just put the kibosh and everything as far as comedy was concerned because it was all consuming but are um, you glad that you did that in the as you were saying when you came out of that in 2010 you would become you realized that, that oh, was, you I'm, were diff, different yeah I'm, listen I mean let, let, let's get that listen I mean it affected me in all kinds of ways. I was, but when we won in two thousand and ten in the House of Lords or the Supreme Court, is what it's called. Now I, I was um, very close to having a nervous breakdown because I mean the the, the, the amount of, of vitriol that had been levelled against me by the council and the people that they were associated was unbelievable. Um, but I wouldn't change fighting that campaign, and uh, it, it kind of like shaped me from then on in as a comedian. And as a bloke, really, you know, because it opens your eyes to all kinds of things. I think I've been on a, a bit of a journey. Well, I've been on a massive journey since 2010 in all kinds of ways, you know, uh, politically, emotionally. I mean, my dad was murdered um, in the following year in 2011, and that kind of like compounded things even more, you know, in this journey that I've been on, you know. I mean, I, I was spending like large time, a lot of time on 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 the computer, looking at far right sites, far left sites, trying to get to the truth of of everything from Zionism to to communism to, you know, paedophile elite rings and all those it, it, elite paedophile rings even, all all kinds of stuff, you know, and so and all that was all shaped by fighting this campaign and my father's murder, you know. So the, when you look back at your the the previous stand-up you were, would you say that that was, it was just jokes, if you say? Because I look back now and I think about 2000, if I look back at pretty much the first 15, 16 years of stand-up I did, I think, oh, I feel a slight shiver. And like, oh, man, I don't like it anymore because I, I think what I do now, I think is is quite a long way from what, yeah, I realised what I wanted to talk about on stage, and mm. I realised that. Do you have that kind of schism where you go, not not necessarily a schism of embarrassment, or that, but just that bit of going, then it was jokes, and then it became about something. You still have to be jokes, you still have to be funny, you still have to be entertaining, but it can mean a little bit more. The thing is, Robin, I still do it, right? I can honestly say now, if you said to me, right, go into this situation in a working men's club, I could do it. If you said to me, go into a uh, sporting dinner like with a uh, after dinner speaker i could do it you said me going to a work um, uh, comedy club i could do it you said write an edinburgh show 
I could do that. Over 32 years of being a comedian, I've worked in every situation that you could possibly think, think of. And I've tried to throw myself into every situation that I've put in or been put in. And, I mean, I started out as a stag comedian, mm. you know, working with strippers on a Sunday afternoon and a Friday night. And then you go into the working men's clubs and, and, and it's a very unforgiving, like, place to, to learn your trade. And so, yeah, it was jokes. And working class audiences in working men's clubs love it when you take the piss or you attack them for being bald, fat, ugly, ginger, skinny, big nose, whatever. That's They, they love that, right? But then I thought to myself, I've always had like, a lot of ambition. I've always had a lot, lot of drive as far as comedy. I didn't want to just sort of, like, you know, be a, be a, a small fish in a big pond, if you know what I mean. I, I wanted I wanted it to get out there and I wanted to try other things. I've always, you know, because I've always loved comedy. So then I started to take myself into the comedy circuit myself and, and try to work a different audience, which is like your, your middle-class liberal kind of comedy circuit uh, kind of audience. Um, and I've just carried on doing that. What happened after the campaign and after Dad's murder, though, was I started, what I started to do was, and it's worked very successfully in, in, in my last three Edinburgh shows, um, I've taken that working men's club style, that un-PC style of comedy, the quick one-liner, bang, bang, oh, have you heard the one about the sun and so forth, two blows walking down, blah, 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 right? And I've and I fused that with that middle-class comedy club kind of approach, if you know what I mean. And I brought them, the, brought the two together. But is that, you say middle-class comedy approach, and I'm thinking some of the things you were saying there, you mentioned Richard Pryor before. Mm. You know, Richard Pryor, you listen to the early stuff, and it's gag, 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 gag. Then it becomes, you know, he deals mm. with it. Sometimes he'll throw in a few gags, and then you have the longs. So there's kind of the... the the starting point for a lot of those ideas goes back quite a long way in terms of that. Uh, yeah, I see, up. I see what you're saying, uh, you know. And I, and but what I'm saying is, in that yes, it was gag, 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 gag at, at first, and then I started to have more of a political slant on things, so it became talk, talk, gag, gag, talk, talk. But I was never afraid of taking that start, that talk, talk style of comedy into a working men's club or onto a sport, mm. sporting dinner. Do you know what I mean? And vice versa. I was never. I was never afraid to take the quick one-liner style of comedy in, uh, into, a, in, into a comedy club in London. Mm. You know, I've always liked trying to cross them over. Always seems to me as though, once again, people, there's so much segregation and div- division in our country along all kinds of lines. And I think, I think comedy is actually one, one of those areas where people are divided. You know what I mean? You have, you have this, like, comedy circuit crowd over here and you have the working men's club kind of circuit over there. And there's a division there, and I've, what I've, I've tried to bring them together, mm. you know, to appeal to, to both sides. That's what I've always... I've always been about trying to use the comedy to bring people together. Where are the... Where do you find difficulties when you're doing either side? When you suddenly... You, maybe you've just been playing a load of kind of uh, the, uh, you know, liberal media elite comedy clubs, and then you've gone back to that. Do you find those bits where you go, um, ah, this bit doesn't quite... Travel yeah, you, the distance. You, there, there's, but there's because I've always found an interesting thing. We were talking beforehand when you play certain. I was saying when I was up in Middlesbrough and there was a pub that I was doing, and I could tell a lot of people they had no idea what I did, but they just come out because there was nothing else on Sunday, mm-hmm. and that can be a lot of fun to play to. It's like sometimes rural areas as well. Yeah, 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 I yeah. found you go to a, and you just turn up and it's the school hall, and nothing's happened for two months, mm-hmm. and they're really open to lots of different things mm. as long as you're not boring. You know, yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that's, that's one of the kind of... Uh-huh. Ba- but I think you're right, that division thing where you go, 
I can't talk about this. Sometimes it's a simple thing like you go, oh, the audience are quite old tonight. And then you suddenly remember that most of the people there in their 70s and 80s, many of them, you know, may well have also, you know, they went to see Jerry Lee Lewis and all of that. kind. Of, and so it's not like the old days. You know, you go, oh, hang on a minute. These old people were, you know, doing all manner. So that bit, though, where sometimes beating that going, I don't need to create that divide, but there are also, I think, some things where you go, and that doesn't quite travel, and that does. I don't think the comedy, I always feel it. Mm. So instinct, I've got this, like, like uh, this, I don't know, it's like a natural metre, and and it's ticking all the time, and I, I know, I don't know why, maybe, I, I suppose it's always been there all the way through my life, but I've honed it more since I've been on the stage over the last 30 years, so I can more or less, like, know what to say you, you you can feel you can feel the line i mean most times i cross the line but i always manage to get away with it it's only on the, on the odd occasion that you don't you know that's what i always find it, when uh used to do the circuit more was some nights on a friday or saturday night the way that the compare went out which would be so combative mm. so attacked straight away mm. and i think but you don't know what they're like yet Mm. And then the audience. There's that thing where if you if you make too much of a judgment about the audience, the moment that's, you go there, that the audience then go, well, that's what we are then, or they close up, or yeah, yeah, they yeah, just yeah, go. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting that, that judgment, which is, I think you don't even realise sometimes how. I was talking ages ago with Brendan Burns. He was talking about one of the first gigs he did. It was an absolute disaster. Mm-hmm. He was trying to be like Sam Kinison. You know, he'd heard Sam Kinison stuff, but he didn't realise that a 19-year-old kid doing this kind of angry thing about his, you know, girlfriend just didn't translate. They just thought, who's this idiot just swearing? He hadn't in any way got the, the you know, yeah, the audience's yeah, the right it, yeah. to do that. And we were saying it's so weird, all of the things that sometimes you don't think you've learned anything. And then you have a gig and afterwards you go, oh, yeah. That is 30 years of doing stand-up where something has now become innate mm-hmm. and that ability to judge. I think also, um, I think also you know, the, the politically correct atmosphere that, that we live in um, has kind of affected comedians, like put comedians on the back foot to a certain degree before, before they go on stage. You know, think, you know, can we say this, can we say that? And I'm, See, um, that's what I would, because that's interesting, because you mentioned that in, in, in the poem that you, you perform in, in, in Forgiveness. I have a slight issue, because I, I, I think, with that generally, that idea, when I think that I often hear from people that you're not allowed to say things, and then I think of who the most, you know, the richest comics are, the richest entertainers, mm. the kind of, you know, you, you go to Netflix and you look at Dave Chappelle and Bill Burr. Right, so what I mean what I mean by you're not allowed to say things, you are allowed to say things, but there's, there's, there seems more and more to be a price you pay. So if you say if you say something that somebody disagree with, disagrees with, we live in a situation now whereby people are saying, "Well, you've got to apologise for that," or we're gonna, you know, people are being people are being sacked, you know. So yes, you can say things, but there's a price to pay these days. You know, Hasn't even, there always been though? I, I, don't, I, I don't, think I think there's. When I look back at our press over the last fifty, sixty years, some of them who now pretend they're free speech because they're anti PC are mm. filled with shutting people down, people losing their jobs. I mean, it's. I think what might have changed is the speed that it happens because I think part of the problem with is so many things are removed from context, and that's I think one of the hardest things. Which is, I, I think a lot of the ideas uh, in terms of certainly being thoughtful about language. Is, is, I think, important. I think I've argued about this with Ricky Gervais in the past, which is, I think, if you're playing a big audience and you are beginning to get that at least 10 to 20% of your audience are taking a joke in a totally different way, like if, if your Mobo's routine, if you started to go, do you know what, I've done it the last three nights 
and I think everyone found something racist in it, which is not in my intention mm. or indeed that then I think I would start to go, I might have to change that joke because I think what I what I'm saying is not what's being received. Mm. And so I do agree. I, I think there is a the the kind of trigger happy fast brain bit which just goes how dare you go slow down have a look have a look at the context you know joe brown would be a good example with the the, the milkshake thing if mm-hmm. you look at the whole thing in context there and you also take the context of the fact it's joe brand and the, what people expect from her as well as the name of the show and all of those things but i think there's a strange there's a double thing going on because on one side you have that on the other side, you look at the kind of language of, you know, the President of the United States of America, the Prime Minister. You look at what you see with, you know, whether it's Julie Hartley Brewer or Jeremy Clarkson or Rod Little or the comics that I've mentioned before, all of that. So on the other side of it, there's also people who are maintaining popularity, getting an enormous number of gigs. Indeed, it's the thing that is 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 their angle. Mm. So there's another side to it as well, which, it, again, in the context of who's saying it and the power that they have at the time. I always think of that moment with what's his name, who was um, Seinfeld uh, when he got into a lot of trouble. I don't watch it. No. Oh man, I've forgotten his name. Uh, American comic who, who played Kramer in it, and he got into trouble. He said something which, certainly in the context that you could see uh, from the reports, you'd go, "Oh yeah, I can see what he was trying to do," but he's definitely accidentally he's gone down a racist route there, mm. and his career was over for a while. Whereas there's other people, Mel Gibson, for instance. Sometimes we go, "Wow." That career's still going fine. And you go, oh, well, that was because this person is making this amount of money. And if you're still making money, then whereas well, that the guy... Because ma- I'm almost raw. Yeah, so, so whereas Michael, uh, what's his name, Michael Richards, who, who played Kramer, he's not really making anyone money. So you go, oh, yeah, well, he can go under the bus. Yeah. And so I think there's, I think there's a lot of... Because that's what, what worries me sometimes with the, the, when the PC debate comes up is that I think that my friend... Did you ever see Barry Crimmins' show? I don't know if he was... No. Uh, he was great. He was an American comic. He died last year. And a uh, real campaigning activist comic as well. And he always he always punched up as well. That's why he, mm. he was never punching down. Took an enormous number of risks. Uh, and um, he, I talked to him once about what he does and doesn't say on stage. And this was before he was diagnosed with cancer or anything like that. And he, he said, so, I said, what don't you talk about? Because no one could say he was a snowflake because it's like, oh, he's been banned from too many, you know, too many yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. He, said, well, I've, he said, I've never done a joke about cancer. He said, because I've never thought of one that's so funny that, I wouldn't then go afterwards if I found out that it really upset someone. I would. I think. Ah, uh, do you know what? That joke's not funny enough to have caused that sadness in 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 the room. Um, and I think that's an interesting thing, which is we might have different rules, but there's a thing where I sometimes look at a routine. I go, how can that be taken? Where, do you know what? I think too many people would take that the wrong way, and I'm not happy with that. I mean, I, I like that idea that people are going to leave more upbeat. I think than... I, th- I I hear what you're saying, and there's times when I've written things, and I thought, and I think I think to myself, right, okay, will people take this the wrong way? And um, and then I think to myself, okay, then so what are you trying to say? What's the point you're trying to make? Is it worth taking the risk mm. of people taking it the wrong way to make this point? And if I think it's worth taking the risk to make a point, then I'll do it. Right. You know, because if I think it's, if I think it's worth, if if I think it's worth it in terms of saying something really powerful or trying to bring people together or bring down a barrier, then, then I'll do it. And that's well, we need to. Yeah, if we could somehow manage to cut down our addiction to fury, because I used to have that. I used to, you know, sometimes I was doing a gig, and I think oh, I want some new material. 
And the quickest thing to do was go, oh, Melanie Phillips, it's Monday, she's written a column. She'll have written something, you know, that will infuriate me. <laughs> and then I was like, and then I stopped at the, one of the things, that was one of the changes in, in the last few years, was like going, I don't want to do stuff that's either going to infuriate other people yeah, or yeah. Do, I, I want to do, I really stand by that, the, the E.B. E. White's comment, you know, which is the, the job of a writer is to uplift people. And I think that's a really important part of comedy as well, which is when sometimes when people defend some of the kind of, I would say, you know, crasser and, and quite vicious. Sometimes when there are, there is comedy, I think, which dehumanises people, dehumanises huge groups of people. And some of the kind of problems that I have with some of the edgy comics, as they're called, is that they are always punching down as well. It's, mm. it's always a punch down. And I look and I think... The people... Well, you see, the, the, the situation, the atmosphere that I grew up in as a child uh, with, with, with my dad... Uh, was I mean, Dad was the grandson of an Irish immigrant, Irish Catholic immigrant, and uh, you know, growing up in a place like Middlesbrough, which is as rough as all boots, to be honest, with you, very, very, you know, it, a very harsh area at times, um, but also a lot of warm, natural humour, a lot of Mickey taking, a lot of ribbing. But Dad always said, you know, if you if you, if you laugh at other people then you have to be able to laugh at yourself. That's most important of all. And I think I think that's the thing. If you're going to attack somebody else, then attack attack yourself as well. And that's that's the situation that that um that I I grew up in and you know, I mean, I've I've written or wrote the show about my my my, my father's murder and when I sat down and I I was thinking, well, how am I going to start this? Mm. Where am I going to begin? You know, what am I going to do? And I just sat there twirling all my memories of him and the times I'd spent with him and the things I'd seen him do and say and all the rest of it. And and this just this warmth came th- came through it all. And I felt I, it was more or less like it put me back in touch with my father. You mm. know, after all these years. I mean, dad was dad was murdered in what two thousand and eleven, and I wrote forgiveness at the start of last year three or four months so I was like treating it like a job but all the memories and all the humour uh, as I was writing writing forgiveness took me back and connected me with him and and I I was proud of the fact that well not proud of it well yeah proud of the fact but I wouldn't have had my childhood any other way you know being encouraged to laugh at other people but also being encouraged to laugh at yourself you know I was I was always a fat kid at school always bullied, always the, the butt of everybody's jokes. And uh, looking at it, I mean, I led a fairly, fairly miserable time at school, but I wouldn't change it for the world because it shaped who I am. And as a result of that, I mean, it, it has, it's like a yin and a yang. It has good points and it has bad points. The good points are that I can laugh at myself and everything else, but the, the, the bad side of things is that I'm, I've become like a people pleaser for my whole life which is probably why I end up in comedy you know because I'm I'm searching for that acceptance all the time see that's I, I think you, sometimes you see interviews with comedians and they go you know I just don't care what the audience think and you go yeah you do there's no, if, no comic if any comic goes <laughs> up there liar. because again a lot of the ones that are, are, are placed in that kind of edgy category the, the moment that one of their bad taste jokes didn't work they'd have to they'd go oh no that's no good that's going to affect ticket sales you know what I mean there's quite a few of them where we don't, we don't bother but, about but ticket sales. I, I, I think you're right about that that thing where to me the, one of the most important things is that you have to also be prepared to be the joke and 
and in, in your shows well, or whatever. Because that's what gets me is when I, I see someone, I think, wow, all you're doing is just throwing out and you're just punching at everyone else. And that's that problem with, you know, you see it in that kind of Trumpish behaviour, I think, which is a level of self-pity, which means that you have no ability to pity anyone else. Mm. That's the, the dominant thing, is so busy finding it's so unfair mm. that you never go, it might be unfair on that. My, my family's humour is, is, is wicked, though. I mean, we, we don't stand on ceremony for anybody. I mean, my, my Auntie Mary, I mean, I mentioned in, in my show, throughout, throughout Dad's uh, court trial, she came up with some lines that, I mean, I won't say now because I'd, I'd like people to come to the show and, and listen, but she came up with some lines that are absolutely hysterical. You know, you're talking about a murder trial <laughs> in Crown Court. But that was her humour. And, I mean, she's got lung cancer now, bless her. And I hadn't seen her for, like... Because we've never been a close family. I hadn't seen my Auntie Mary since the murder trial, since 2011. I only found out she had lung cancer back in the last year, about November time. So I started to go and see her. And, like, the last time she saw me, I was much heavier. And when I walked through the door, she went, E, you've lost weight. I said, not as much as you have. <laughs> <laughs> and she started to laugh, and I started to laugh. Because that's our family's humour. But the care worker was horrified. You said, the care worker, they said, have you just said that? I said, yeah. But that's a, we should talk about briefly before we run out of time, which is you're, you're doing a run at the Soho Theatre with Forgiveness. Mm. And this was, um, you'd, you'd done the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, mm. where you'd had a very successful show. And then to go up again and deal with, as you just said, it's about the, you know, the murder of your dad. Mm. Um, as, a, as a comic, that bit where you start, again, working out, there's points. I presume there must, there's points where you go. I don't need to put a joke here, because I think that's an interesting. Sometimes we go, this bit I can tell the story, mm. but there has to be a joke. That that working out the timing and the shape of a, of a story, which is a story that is not often told, not by you know, a, a comedian on stage. It's uh, so I started to write it. I was I was consciously aware of the fact that you know if of the obviously of the 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 subject matter and and. Of it being a heavy, a heavy kind of obviously massively heavy subject matter, and um, and I thought to myself, okay, then so I, I kind of like wrote it, and then I and then I added the pops of colour with the quick one-liner style of jokes from the working men's clubs um, to bring it to life, to to bring the humour. But there was also, like I say, the, there was the, the humour there from the experiences that I had in court and with other people, you know, who, who were involved in it and, and the things that they said. But I had to structure it in so that it was like basically you start off and you're explaining what the show is and then you hit them with a, just a couple of quick one-liners or whatever and then you, you go... And, but I was consciously aware of the fact I had to keep the jokes and the humour running right the way till the very end because it's comedy. Yeah. It's a comedy. I wanted, I wanted it to be a comedy show. That's what I am. That's what I do best. That's, what, that's all I can do. I'm, I'm, I'm completely useless at everything, right? I'm useless. And all I can do is use my mouth, use my wits and, and try and make people laugh. And so I wanted it to be a funny show. But I also wanted to put forward the themes that I think my dad and 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 the and the values I think my dad stood for. I think that we are a very um, unforgiving, mean kind of society. 
And I think a lot of that is stoked up by our media who, for whatever reason, want people to be unforgiving or, you know, are trying to play people off against each other all the time. So I, I wanted these themes to come across because I don't... I mean, I've got six, six grandchildren and I don't want them to be growing up in this in this world where people are unforgiving, you know? I mean, I've had people come to the show themselves who have suffered murder themselves and they've laughed and they've cried and then they've laughed some more and they've come up to me, come up to me after the show and said, you know... You've set me on the path to forgiveness. I've had people who suffered uh, uh, suicide, you know, struggling to f forgive the people who've, in their families who've committed suicide, and they've started on the path to forgiveness. Even a guy who he came up to me after Edinburgh, one show in Edinburgh, and he said, I haven't spoken to my dad for, for 12 years. We had an argument, never spoken, but I want to get on the phone. You've made me want to get on the phone and speak to my father again. And these are things that make me feel immensely proud. It's like my my. It's more or less like my father's legacy, you know. Mm. That I and and it's like it's more or less like his message, because he was a very big-hearted, uh, forgiving kind of person, who used humour as a, as a self-defence mechanism in a lot of ways, and and also a way of bringing people together, you know. That it, it was like a very irreverent, very un-PC man, but it, he used it, and every time he took the piss out of somebody. He always had a little, little twinkle in his eye and smiles on his face, and you knew there was never any malice there, and it drew people in. So these are things that that I wonder, these, as 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 well as the comedy and as well as the as the story, I also wanted to try and promote these themes of of tolerance and forgiveness and everything, you know, with with, with the show. So, and I mean, hopefully, I mean, I've had that that positive response from people over the Edinburgh Festival in a few weeks ago when I did it in a small venue in Dumfries. And I'm I'm just hoping that the people who come to the Soho Theatre and uh, anywhere else that we, that we may take the show to will will also come away with those same things. Soho Theatre. When's it start? It's the end of February, isn't it? It's the... Uh... I'm in the Soho Theatre from Wednesday the 26th to Saturday the 29th. Obviously, the last show is on the 29th of, uh, of February. I'm also at, at the Leicester Comedy Festival on the 23rd but I can't remember the name of the venue, but if you looked... If you they they can the, do that easy, Leicester Comedy, Leicester Comedy Festival. Thanks very much. I'm, I'm really looking forward to finally seeing the show as well. Um, you'll be Joseph, like, I'm, I'm really pleased life. that you're going to come along. I'm absolutely no, it sounds, sounds great. And, and uh, um, So there you go. Go in, and you've, Have you got a website? I can't. I, I didn't really. I don't find, have a website, no. but I'm on Facebook and Twitter. And Facebook, Facebook, and Twitter. Twitter, uh, Twitter Chris McGlade and join uh, Josie. We back some other time, hopefully. Uh, I hope you enjoy listening to that. There's loads of other things for you to listen to as well, and uh, and watch and stuff like that. And it's all at CosmicShambles.com. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>